Hey everyone, welcome. Well, this is it. This is my last episode hosting the Out of Our Minds podcast. The podcast will continue under new management, so please stay tuned for future episodes. Today's episode, though, is the second half of our conversation about what it means to walk by faith. As Tim says in the episode, walking by faith means that if God fails to show up, you're dead. You're a goner. Is that you? Or are you clinging to something else for salvation and relief? My conversation today was with pastors Tim Bailey and Max Carell. My name is Lucas Weeks, and this is the Out of Our Minds podcast. All right, you put it the way you want. I thought I had listened and heard what you <laughs> wanted to put it, and I thought that's what I was summarizing. Well, the way I would put it is there is a both end. It exists. In, okay, in, let's in hear the both, the and then let's hear the end. <laughs> uh, fear and trembling, sickness unto death, and trust that God through Christ will deliver on his promises. Okay. So comfort. Yeah. Comfort and pain. Yeah. So yes and no. Yes. Okay. And so what you want f- for people to know is that as we tell you God's no is gag today, mm-hmm. that we give them God's yes as we tell them that God's no is gag today. Yeah. Okay. Now, here's the danger with that. Mm-hmm. The danger with that is that all we do is reassure them that there's a reason they're without compunction of conscience Mm. and we don't really want to bust them loose from it Mm -hmm. we just want them to realize that there is a world outside of the cave and those shadows do portend something real outside the cave and 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 so we're happy to be an exotic species here in bloomington that has our own way of doing things and it's not really as bad as it sounds to them and our people have what they have too, which is re- assurance of salvation. God's yes. It's happy. It's cheerful. And it's everything. Now, listen, I'm not against that. I know it sounds like I am because hmm. I'm mocking it. Yeah. But here's the reason I'm mocking it. Scripture never deals that way. Mm. What Scripture says at the end of this excoriating series of three chapters of the hopelessness of man's condition, not the human condition, but man's condition, because the Bible names us man. It says there is no fear of God before their eyes. Mm. And then it doesn't say, no, I know that sounds just a little weeny, you know, and I'm sorry, but I mean, I have to tell it the way it is, the way I see it. And, and, but don't worry, you're okay, mm-hmm. but it's other people we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Now, we put them in the condition of having no fear of God. That's what I'm saying. That's actually what you're saying. You're just a little bit too compassionate at times, you know. That's what Max is saying. We're yeah. saying many of you have no fear of God. Mm-hmm. How do you know that you have had imputed to you the righteousness of Jesus Christ if you don't fear God? Because Scripture unilaterally condemns those who have no fear of God. Mm-hmm. Never does true faith remove fear of God from us. In That's fact, right. it, it, it builds it. Mm-hmm. It gives it back to us in a hopeful way. 
Now, okay, I've made a concession there. Yeah. It gives us back to us in a hopeful way. And so I just typed up fear into my online thing. Acts 19, fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. So there it associates fear falling on everyone. Not fear and joy, not fear and assurance of salvation. Fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. And then we have, do not be conceited, Romans eleven twenty. Do not be conceited, but fear. Okay? Do not be conceited, but fear. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have... I, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. The Apostle Paul. And then we have 2 Corinthians 5.11, therefore knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. And therefore, 2 Corinthians 7.1, therefore having these promises, beloved, promises. Oh, that's wonderful. This is, a, this is like a promise box. This is a promises. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And I could just keep going. You received him, 2 Corinthians 7, with fear and trembling. Be subject to one another, Ephesians 5, in the fear of Christ with fear and trembling. Now, here's my point. The true preaching of the word of God applies the law of God, both the outside of the cup law and the inside of the cup law, both the Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount, okay? in such a way that every squirrely escape mechanism that we have learned from our parents Mm -hmm. and from our previous pastors, it's decimated. That's what Jesus did. That's what John the Baptist did. They got rid. They just brought a, they just decimated all of the legalism that causes us to to wear masks, to not wear masks, to use single-use plastic, to not use single-use, to raise a flag, to not, to carry a gun, to not, to mm-hmm. all the petty mm-hmm. laws that surrounded the actual character of God expressed in the Ten Commandments. They came in and said, you've heard it said. They said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. Mm-hmm. And the people trembled. The people trembled, and they could not stop listening to them because they were speaking with authority, not like their teachers of the law. Mm-hmm. And now, here's the question. Why would the preaching that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God? I'm quoting from Hebrews. Yeah. Okay. Why is that preaching? Why is the spirituality of the law, why is that something that gives us joy and peace and love? A peace that passes all understanding. Why? Well, I mean, I think of the passage you read in Acts that Jesus was being glorified. How could that possibly yeah. be true? Without- and, and here's the deal. All of social media is a conspiracy to deaden us to the truth about ourselves. About everything, yeah. Yeah. You sit under the preaching of God and his word, not 
man, although God uses us to do it, you sit under that preaching, and for the first time in your life, you have heard a diagnosis of your heart that matches your own experience of mm-hmm. your heart. Mm-hmm. And it's such an encouragement to be told how wicked you are because it comports to your existential experience. Yeah, it's truth. It is such a healing, joyful truth. And after all, is the world not teaching us to fear? I mean, what is the world but an well, endless... But it, it can only be a joyful, healing truth with Christ. Especially when the world has so many things for us to fear. I mean, the world never stops telling us to be afraid of this and that and the other thing and That's the other the thing. And yep. then all of a sudden, you're free to not fear any of the things the world tells you to, free, to fear, but to fear only God. Yeah. Only God. Because he's the only one that has properly diagnosed you. Mm-hmm. Everything else is flattery or everything else is evasive and evasion. And only the truth will bring you to the point of having freedom. Lucas was saying, okay, yeah, but it also needs to come with something. And see, what I wanted to say when he said that is no, no. It doesn't also need to come with, no. There isn't anything until that happens. What I wanted to say is just a slight word change. There is no way to get it except through this. Mm -hmm. It produces it. It doesn't come with it. It actually is the fruit of it. And And so the fruit of the fear of God is a peace that passes all understanding. And to some, those words will be death. Yeah. And there is no... But why do you want to keep one foot on the dock and one in the boat? You want to relate to the people that think you stink while being perfumed to the people that think you smell good yeah and the people the people who were the who were not teaching with authority they heard the words too and they hated him well they what said they wanted to do was he, kill they him. knew that he was speaking of them yeah 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 <laughs> i was thinking when you were talking earlier about them coming to flatter him and i thought it's fascinating how he responds to flattery because it's perfect right and i can't think of the exact you know uh, you know, they're coming and they're always like either prepping to trap him with flattery. But even even when Nicodemus comes to him, what does he say? How does Nicodemus start the dialogue with him? We know that you're a... Uh, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you okay, do you're right. unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, now... He didn't even, it's like we all look at that and don't think about the fact that he did, he immediately just doesn't listen to it. Mm. And he goes right into the teaching that will mm-hmm. set him up for the mm-hmm. thing he will say to Nicodemus. He's that's always like, going for the heart. That's like going to kick Nicodemus mm-hmm. in the teeth. He mm-hmm. says, you're a teacher and you don't know mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. right? And Nicodemus is like, oh, mm-hmm. oh. But here we are, and in this context, in this world, people flatter us, and we don't think about the evil of it, that it's lulling us into something, that it's a trap. And I don't know that Nicodemus was coming to trap Jesus, but even when he wasn't being uh, pursued to be trapped, if Nicodemus came, and I think he did sincerely, 
Even then, Jesus didn't give him any uh, any satisfaction for his flattery. Mm. None at all. And 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 the people that was interesting that I think the people that Jesus gave satisfaction to wasn't for their flattery, but was for their worship. And for their humility. And for their love of him because he knew, because they knew who he was and what he brought to them. Yes, yes, yes. It's like, you know, not give to the dogs what's intended. Yeah, but even the dogs (laughs) get the crumbs (laughs) from the table. Hmm. Woman, your faith is great. (laughs) You know, it's all about pride and humility. Hmm. And if we're humble, we despair of ourselves Mm. and we sin again and again and we see our sin i've i've been saying to people the last few weeks that can we please have faith for sin it's just so easy to to want as a christian to get past the pilgrimage stage Mm. you know that's true to to get to a place where it's just okay now I can put my feet up. I think those are called opioids. <laughs> yeah, they're called a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Television. It's, it's so difficult yeah. to have to. Live by faith. I mean, to, to walk by faith, yeah. not by sight. We want to be comfortable. I mean, I'm saying things that are obvious to people, I guess, but. No, I don't think they are, Lucas. I think the fact is we are we just want to be comfortable i mean the smells and the bells um, well yeah the, just, the rote of the catholic mass and the rosary that sort of thing it can just get very comfortable like driving to work you know you you sort of don't even know how you got there when you arrived yeah but <laughs> the fact is that we jesus is in the house of the pharisee and the woman comes and washes his feet with her hair mm-hmm. had she heard him preach about adultery had she heard him preach about sexual sin she had heard it and when does it stop for us when do we get comfortable simply with smells and bells when do we stop falling on our knees and weeping over his feet and wiping his feet with our hair I mean, when is it that we're supposed to end that? Oh, well, I mean, if you're asking the question, when are we actually supposed to be done with it? Then, I mean, I think the answer is when we're dead, right? Well, and even then, what would, what will the, what will glory be? Yeah. But the song of the lamb, Mm -hmm. you know, and so it never stops. I mean, that was her, that was that woman singing the song of the lamb right then. Mm. And she was just pouring her tears out on him because he was her savior and he is he is singular that way (laughs) and so you just think about her loving jesus and how those men even they even that pharisee was 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 restricting her he's back behind whispering doesn't he know Mm. doesn't he know what kind of woman this is and and the fact is that jesus saw her as his sheep he, he died for her, or he was about to. And he yeah. knew he was about to. Mm-hmm. Listen, we all three of us sitting here feel the tension of those who have been abused as children, who have been under preaching that has never led them 
to a true confidence in the blood of Jesus, who have grown up oppressed by other men's sin, their mother's sin maybe, and are desperate for some semblance of peace, okay? And what you have to realize is that the woman who touched Jesus, the hem of his cloak, and was healed of the hemorrhaging, had spent all her money trying to get healing in other ways. Mm. And typically people who are desperate for comfort, desperate for someone to validate them as not being crazy, as having really been abused and it was evil, mm-hmm. are going to go to social media and going to find preachers who will give them the validation, the validation, the comfort, the reassurance, and everything. But the fact is, there are always pretenders to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Yep. And it can be scary to ask the Holy Spirit to heal you. You will never be healed except by the Holy Spirit. You will not be healed by a counselor that sits and listens to you. You can be helped. Mm -hmm. But what we all hunger, it's what Augustine says, that my heart is not at rest until it rests in thee. And what we want you to do is not accept a counterfeit for the true healing and not to settle for things that are second and third and fourth and tenth best. And to go for the gold. Now, I know that sounds really hackneyed, you know, because I'm mixing metaphors and talking about running races and everything. But the fact is, there are always bastard prizes that take the place of the true prize of righteousness and peace. Don't settle for the bastardized versions. Mm -hmm. And the church is selling them just as much as it was is just as much today as it was in the time of Tetzel and his indulgences in Rome, and in the time of Jesus, and in the time of the prophets, the church is always happy to sell peace that is no true peace to people through their sacraments, through their preaching that says that the bad people are out there, but everybody in here is good. Mm-hmm which is the main message to reform people today. Aren't you glad that we're not like those others? Yeah. And so this is not a call for you to despair. This is a call for you to realize that the true preaching of repentance scares the snot out of you. Mm -hmm. You think you can't get any lower, and then you come under the preaching of true repentance and you didn't even know how well you could get. And yet, right there, precisely at that point, is the ministry of the Holy Spirit leading you to the cross of Christ. That's what it means that the laws are schoolmaster to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so, don't short-circuit your pilgrimage. Imagine if Christian flying out of his house with his burden on his shoulders, mm-hmm. hearing his wife and neighbors crying out to him to come back, come back. And he'd say, well, will you, will you agree to like go and take the sacrament with me every day? Can, can we go to Mass every day? Because that would help me. You know, or w- would you agree that we can sing psalms only from now on? Because that would make me feel like maybe there's a little bit more help for me. Or would you agree to use the word grace in every graceful sentence? It's graceful that 
Uh-huh. Grace. Yeah. Would you would you talk a little more about God's sovereignty? Because I'd find that a comfort. Would you memorize the catechism? Now, mind you, I'm not against grace, against the catechism, against sovereignty, against any of these things. But he had to flee to the cross with his mm-hmm. burden. And mm-hmm. he had to put his hands over his ears and yell, life, life, life. Yeah. And he had to yell it so he could drown out all the religious leaders and preachers and books that are gentle and lowly who are trying to get him to settle for a view of God that is unbiblical. Yeah, but there's another aspect of that, and that that is that we have to realize that the man who does not come to Jesus Christ is being disobedient and wicked. And... There, you know, there's a kind of despair that makes you, and I, you know, you say that I'm my compassion. It's the kind of thing that I realize I have to watch out for, and so I've begun to, I think, to identify mm-hmm. that the man who says, "Oh, you know, woe is me," and but God has given us Christ, mm-hmm. and He is gentle and mm-hmm. lowly. You know, mm-hmm. that's the, that's the the lie of the book that you're referencing. Mm-hmm. That's the, the twist. Um, and the one who doesn't come to him is being exceedingly proud. Well, I tried to point out in my criticisms of that book that that statement by Jesus comes at the end of a, of a series of sayings of his that are unbelievably hopeless, mm. damnable, in other yeah. words, Jesus, woe unto you, Bethsaida and Chorazin. Mm-hmm. If the miracles that had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah that have been done in you, they would have, therefore, it will go better for them in the day of judgment than for mm-hmm. you. And so he goes through this list of condemnations and warnings. Mm-hmm. And then he says, come unto me, all you who are, well, who would have been left at that point? Yeah. All the evangelicals would have left. <laughs> they would never have tolerated the warnings and condemnations that he just gave. Mm-hmm. They would have said, you mistake us. You think that we're the evil ones, but our pastor has shown us that we're the people who are the true inheritors of all the good things that mm-hmm. God has. We're going to go to the zoo. We're going to, go to <laughs> Japan. We're going to go to China. We're going to go everywhere. Yup, 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 yeah, yup. Yeah. And so when he finally gets to that point, come unto me, Mm. and you say the people that won't come are very wicked, Mm. but I would say the people who left Mm. under his warnings Mm -hmm. are very wicked, and for that reason, they did not hear his command to come, and they had no faith for it. Whereas those who stayed and said, yes, we are the ones. I identify. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. So what did you mean by that's very wicked. Well, demanding that your pastor always talk gracefully is one of the ways that people actually do this. They close their ears off to Jesus' declarations, warnings, woe to you, all that stuff. And they demand that their pastor talk in a certain way, cuddle up to them in a certain way. But that's that's wicked. And it is wicked ultimately to reject the proper diagnosis of yourself to to say no it is you know you could say pastor you are wrong for telling me that i need to be brought low 
Because I've been abused. Because because of any number I'm of black, things. Because right. I have a speech impediment. I'm a man. I'm a woman. I'm whatever. You know, my mama didn't love me. <laughs> yeah, I think the I think the prevailing idea is I don't need to be brought low mm-hmm. to get grace, which is takes us back to the beginning of what we were talking about. I don't need to be brought low in order to understand. I understand it already. Yeah, yeah that's great. I already I got it. it. I already I get got it. it. I already got it. And yet I got you <laughs> it's such a dishonest thing. I mean you're dishonest if you read the psalms and you don't kind of get this tightness in your stomach <laughs> when when david says how he loves the law uh, of god oh that's right i i read every time i read about how the law is good and how he loves the law of god i just think what <laughs> it it kills me you're killing me with this law stuff you're killing me and and he didn't have i don't think he had mm-hmm. i think he absolutely understood that the law was good he he knew it it was good so, he knew he was bad yeah and the problem was him and not the law yeah but now open up why does he keep saying he's righteous all through the psalms i mean that's the great enigma of the of the psalms I think he knew his righteousness came from God. I think he just he, he understood right. that his righteousness came from God all the time, and so he he so lives his life. He, so, in other words, it was precious to David the despair of his own righteousness. Yes, yes, yes. And so he, I've taken to t- telling people how the law is good. Right? Okay. So you guys mm-hmm. are laughing. Why? Why you say you're just not taking to that? Yeah. No, but I mean saying it out loud because the fact of the matter is. We have to look at this and realize it's just so, it's in scripture so absolutely clearly. The law isn't the problem. Mm. The law isn't the problem. And every time I see the law, it kills me. Yeah. And I go to, I guess I'm dead and I'm dead and I'm dead. And I'm well, dead. and what goes through my mind when you say that again is I think, oh, but that person there. They're not psychologically strong enough to handle that. Man, I can understand why they reject this because, I mean, they've been through a lot and the idea, I can understand why they have, they're scared. This is, and and, and Mm. what I'm saying, I'm trying to tell you, I'm diagnosing myself Mm. as being more. Well, that's, no, no, no. That's exactly what I think constantly in pastoral care and preaching. <laughs> yeah. I think that constantly, don't you? Yeah, but I was wondering about the psychological part of it. Why is it? Okay, what is it? Is it because we don't think they're psychologically strong enough to hear it? Or that we just don't believe it? That it will be the thing that will heal them? <laughs> you want me you to know? tell you what I think it is? <laughs> yeah. Now, this is just me. <laughs> Go ahead. I think that I never want to depend on God. Mm, Ever. Ever. I never want to be reduced to a position that if God doesn't show up, I'm dead. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to a sheep, I have compassion. And I don't want to depend on God to heal that sheep. I want to be their solution. I want to say something that's comforting to them. Now, Mm. I'm, I'm not saying that that's always wrong but i just when people are in pain 
it's natural to want to bind up the wounds to heal them. Mm-hmm. But it's so easy for me to be the poultice, for me to be the bandage, for me to be the splint, for me to mm-hmm. be the medicine, for me to be the therapy, because I've got a big mouth and I can think fast on my feet mm-hmm. and I can emote. And I don't want to have to wait on God mm-hmm. with sheep. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to wait on God for myself. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't want to depend on God for money. Now, so much of what we say is, has to do with faith. Yeah. What we say to the people that we minister to and that we take care of, what we say to ourselves, it's a matter of faith. When I said a few minutes ago, I've taken to saying the law is good, saying it out loud. Because it's a matter of faith. You know, Tim, mm. you've been listening to Romans as you mow the lawn over and over and over again. And, and he gets to, isn't it in Romans? He gets to that point and he says, we believe, therefore we speak. Second uh, Corinthians. Yeah, yes, like I said, Second Corinthians. <laughs> <laughs> but having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. Yeah, and I think those words are like just... They're just simple. Mm. What do you say? And if we're speaking to pastors and to elders and to older women of the church who have obligation to care for the sheep, mm-hmm. I think what we would say to them is speak into the place of your fear. Hmm. Look where you're afraid and then say that. Mm-hmm. And then wait on God. Hmm. Trust that God will add his blessing, that God never sends his word out and it returns void. It always accomplishes the purposes. Have faith for the purpose of God being hardening a sinner in his sin. Look at that as a theme of Jesus. Why do you teach him parables? So that having eyes, they will not see, having ears. I mean, Jesus' words, the same words, are the smell of death and the smell of life. Mm. The same words send the Pharisees and religious leaders off to plot his death and cause others to wash his feet with their hair. The same exact words. In other words, if if we're not preaching in a way that allows God's dispensations, both of mercy and of wrath, to be evident, we're not preaching in the power of the Spirit. We're, we're preaching in our own power and our own wisdom. Yeah, and the response is going to be lukewarm. Yes, yes. It's going to be without compunction of conscience, comfortably known. Pink mm. Floyd. <laughs> you know, you remember that story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, I have become comfortably numb. Yeah. God sure used that to rebuke me. (laughs) Oh, my. Wrapping up, I feel, is coming to an end. And I just want to thank God for this church. (laughs) I don't know what I would be, you know, without the godliness of our congregation. Yeah. I just don't know what I would be. And I look at friends, you know, at this point in my life who have gone on to, you know, 
and I say to pastors, I don't say this to the sheep, but I say to my pastor's friends that you could not pay me to have the positions of most of my peers from Gordon-Conwell. You couldn't pay me to do it because they've ended up spending their lives servicing the rich and proud. And I can't imagine what it would be like to be a minister of the gospel serving the rich and proud. I just think of Lloyd-Jones when he goes to Westminster and takes it over from, you know, uh, G. Campbell Morgan. Mm. And they're concerned because there's a decline in the attendance and the deacons call a meeting on Sunday afternoon. You remember this story from the biography by Murray? And and, uh, they're sitting around and to their horror... The doctor, you know, Lloyd Jones shows up. Yeah. And uh, there, there was a nurse, an American nurse that was in London at the time that had wrote down notes of what actually happened. And I don't remember the exact story. It's 25 years ago. I've read it now. But mm-hmm. I've never forgotten that when he went to Sandwins, which was his first parish out in Wales, a harbor town, that they had become the drama house, the playhouse for community theater. Uh-huh. And he said, well, there's not, there are not going to be any plays in this church. Uh-huh. I think it was down in the basement. And yeah. they said, well, what are we going to do with the stage that's been built down there? And he said, cut it up. We'll, we'll heat the church with it the first winter. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, then when he got, when Lloyd Jones, or I mean, when Campbell Morgan turned it over to him, uh, Westminster Chapel, uh, they were having this meeting I think it was Sunday afternoon about how to get more people to come. And Lloyd-Jones just sat there silently. It was very embarrassing that he'd shown up. Nobody thought that Lloyd-Jones, the doctor, would show up, you know. And finally, he, he says, if I could, to the group, he says, and anybody could come. That's why this nurse was there. He said, well, if I could tell you a way that you could be assured that our attendance would instantly increase, would you be interested in hearing my idea? <laughs> oh, yes, good doctor. Yes, yes, we would. Oh, yes, by all means. And what he said was, well, just take an ad out in the Times announcing that Dr. Lloyd-Jones will be preaching in his boxer shorts next <laughs> <time>. <laughs> And now, my point is to say, Think of how that disciplined the proud church that was humiliated Mm -hmm. that he wasn't pulling in as many people as they wanted. Mm -hmm. It made it very clear to them that Lloyd-Jones was going to have no part in that. Mm -hmm. That his ministry was going to fear God and that he didn't mind shaming his deacons over their desire for numbers and status. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. Such a wonderful encouragement to me to read that. Yeah. And so we have to be willing to recognize the degree to which, as we said at the beginning, the congregation forms the preacher. Mm. And when you have the privilege of preaching to a humble congregation that confesses their sins and it's just a wonderful thing, and I want to give testimony to God that he has been very, very kind to us, not just to me. And that kindness continues with you men as I leave. And He, he has been very kind to it's us. It's just mm-hmm. so beautiful. And it, it's not just Sunday morning. It's all week. Yeah. It's interesting when you think about 
what makes a church beautiful, it is the presence of God. It is his, uh, I, I like to call it his architectural stamp. You know, he is, he puts a stamp on churches that you, you just go into them and you just think, oh, God has been kind here and is being kind here. And it's a sweet thing. Mm. You know, as we bring this to an end, it occurs to me it might be helpful for me to read a letter that I just got today. Hmm. It's from an older couple in our church, probably in their mid to late 80s. Um, Their background is in Sovereign Grace out in California. They moved here uh, in their retirement. And uh, they've always been a great encouragement to us in our preaching. Mm -hmm. Very generous hearts that are obvious as you preach. Hunger for the Word of God. And so I didn't know what their letter to me, and I've only gotten a couple of letters. Most things have been said in person. But they say, Dear Tim and Mary Lee, and that's the first thing that's very telling. You minister with your wife. You are called with your wife. You are one with your wife. It is not a one-man show. Mm. Dear Tim and Mary Lee, thank you for your service to us through Trinity Reform Church, exclamation mark. And they're not exclamation mark people. (laughs) We wish you the best of everything in your future endeavors. We have been under your care for more than 10 years now, and during that time, you have taught us, demonstrated how Christians are supposed to love each other, and warned us to fear and love God. Your teaching from God's Word has been extraordinary. I thought I was doing well in personal Bible study before we came to Bloomington. (laughs) But your understanding and exposure of sins revealed much that I would never have found by myself. Coming in the church door for the first time, I didn't realize how sinful I really am. Now I'm repenting frequently with faith in Jesus' death and resurrection. We are sheep under your shepherdship and am thankful for that label. Through your teaching on marriage, we realize the treasure God has given us. I'm skipping something, but I'm going to read this. Do you remember the day you went to Dave Canfield's house to apologize for something you had said? Yes, I remember that day. (laughs) I most certainly do remember that day. Uh He said, I was there being disciplined by Dave. So this would have been a man who was probably 10 to 15 years older than David. And David was an elder, and David would have been disciplining this older gentleman. Mm. And when he says discipline, he doesn't mean spanking. He means that David would have been admonishing admonishing him. He says, I was there being disciplined by Dave and had never heard anyone, especially a pastor, apologize like that. (laughs) By your example, I can do such things, not exactly as you did, but with the same heart of humility you displayed. I thank you for preaching the truth we do not like to hear, but need to be convicted and realize our need of Christ's sacrifice for our sin. You know, that I think is typical of humility and meekness Mm -hmm. and gratitude of the people of our church. And it's not about me because I'm, no more quicker to apologize or humble. I'm less humble 
than all of our elders and pastors. Well, there may be one elder that gives me a run for his money, but it isn't Tim Wagner, <laughs> you know. And what we want is to raise our children in a church like that. And so the message today is, you are what you eat. You see what we're talking about in Scripture. Well, and don't try to run away or hide from walking by faith. Don't try to get released from it. It's what God calls us to. It's, and it calls us to. It sounds so stupid. It is the mercy of God. It's the mercy of God. It is the gift of God. It is life. So embrace it. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the men of old gained approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Walking by faith is hard, and your faith will inevitably be tested. But James says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If your faith is being tested, hold on tight. It's not a bug, it's a feature. Trust God, and let endurance have its perfect result. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Lucas Weeks, and the conversation today was with Tim Bailey and Max Carell. For more great content, please visit warhornmedia.com. To support this podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash out of our minds. Bye for now. 